Hi, this is Larry H. Russell. Thank you for downloading another edition of Celtics Beat. Today's episode is being brought to you by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Casper. Casper's mattresses are premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. And to get $50 off any mattress purchase at casper.com, visit casper.com slash Celtics and enter promo code Celtics. Welcome on into another edition of Celtics Beat, right here on CLNS Radio. Celtics Beat today is brought to you by Lynda.com. Lynda.com is the online platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and, and creative skills. Because you're such a loyal listener to CLNS Radio and Celtics Beat, we're offering you a free 10-day trial. Just visit Lynda.com slash CLNS. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash CLNS. So you may be wondering who I am, as you heard Larry H. Russell's intro to today's Celtics Beat. Well, I'm Nick Gelso. I'm the founder of CLNS Radio. You could follow me on Twitter at CLNS underscore Nick. I must say I'm quite privileged to be filling in today for LHR. I've got to give great thanks to Larry for his hard work over the past several years with Celtics Beat. We work together on a weekly, daily, almost hourly basis right here on CLNS Radio. Now, you may not hear much from me often anymore, but there was a time where I was on CLNS quite frequently. Today, I filled in mostly as program director and producer of the CLNS Radio Beat series, which includes Celtics Beat, Red Sox Beat, and Patriots Beat. So if you enjoy Celtics Beat, check out Red Sox and Patriots beat. The NBA season is approaching. You'll also hear a lot from all of us at CLNS, all the personalities, as well as myself, on the Celtics postgame show. The Celtics postgame show goes live after every single Boston Celtics game, all 82, and hopefully a playoff run as well. We take your calls toll-free. For more information on the Celtics postgame show, you could send your questions over to the CLNS Radio Twitter handle, at CLNS Radio. Anyway, today is a great privilege for me. As some of you who do remember me from the old days at CLNS, I'm a history buff. I've always really, really been into the history, in particular sports history and the Boston Celtics. Today we welcome two amazing guests from what many call the greatest NBA game ever played. That's Game 5, 1976, NBA Finals at Boston Garden versus the Phoenix Suns. As we often do here on Celtics Beat, we give you both sides of the spectrum. So we're going to give you a Suns perspective and also a Celtics perspective. And what's interesting about this, folks, is we are getting these perspectives directly from the sources. In other words, we are welcoming Al McCoy, who on that June night in 1976 was a one-man broadcast team for the Phoenix Suns. Al sits down with our very own Ty Ray, co-owner of CLNS Radio. And I will tell you, Al McCoy has amazing perspectives of that evening in June 1976. And just to kind of recap or fill you into exactly the absolute magnitude of this game, for many of our listeners are are younger. Hey, listen, I wasn't even born in 1976, but I do know all about Game 5 at Boston Garden versus the Phoenix Suns NBA Finals. It's the triple overtime game. Think about this, folks. 
The Celtics open the series. They get two wins in Boston, go up 2-0 on the Suns. The Suns were like the Cinderella Suns, team with 40 wins, not expected to do much, and turned it up at the end of the season. So to NBA fans, sports fans, the Boston Celtics were a shoe-in to win this NBA final series. The series shifted back to Phoenix after game two, and Phoenix took both games, two losses for the Seas. So now they're heading back to Boston Garden, setting up the scene for today's podcast. Game five, again, is the most pivotal game in a seven-game series. Now that the NBA has shifted back to the 2-2-1-1-1, now that they've shifted back to that format, game five again becomes so pivotal in an NBA final series. Back in 76, it absolutely was pivotal. The Celtics or the Suns had an opportunity to go up 3-2 heading back to Phoenix for game six where they could have closed out the series. Now think about this. Boston Garden. It wasn't just the 1980s where you hear those fabled famed games against the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had to wear an oxygen mask on the bench because it was so hot. Well, in 1976, they had no AC, no air conditioning in Boston Garden either. So it was exceptionally hot in the Garden. Add to that a 9 p.m. start. This was before the ABA-NBA merger. This was before tape delay. And as you know today, the NBA Finals games start later as well. So 9 p.m. start. Something familiar to all of you? Refs highly criticized in this game. And you think about it, this was before David Stern, Dick Pavetta, Joey Crawford, all the goons that today, you all, we all, as spectators of the game, love to criticize the referees and blame it on the referees. Blame it on Stern. I don't hear much of that with Adam Silver yet, but David Stern's name still comes up. Uh, This is before them. So the refs were highly criticized in this game, and you wonder why, because Tommy points didn't even exist yet. Tommy was giving his points to his own players as he was sitting on the bench as the coach of the Boston Celtics. Want to see some great stuff? Google images, Tommy Heinsohn as a coach. No one epitomized fashion in the 70s like Tommy. You got to check it out. Anyway, Tommy Heinsohn's on the bench, and of course, he's riled up about the referees in games one, two, three, and four, and we're setting it up for game five now. And another thing to think about. This past NBA Finals, we saw Steve Kerr make some rotational moves, starting lineup moves. Well, He was really, really praised for taking that risk. Well, in Game 5, 1976, Tommy Heinsohn made a big move by inserting NBA legend. At that point, he was a living legend. He was John Hondo Havlicek. Heinsohn goes back, inserts him into the starting lineup. Tommy took a big risk. The other side of the storyline is earlier, Paul Westfall was traded for Charlie Scott. Paul Westfall goes over to the Suns. Suns' Charlie Scott comes over to Boston. So the Boston Celtics have a new point guard. The Phoenix Suns have a new star, Paul Westfall, who you probably remember as a coach for the Phoenix Suns. Rick Barry, a very jaded Rick Barry, holds the broadcast booth for the nationally televised game on CBS. He shares it with Brett Musburger. Uh, great broadcast, but you could hear it. You know, Rick was always a, a bit smug, as as we know. He still is. At that time, Rick is just coming off an NBA championship, was eliminated, I believe, by the Suns, and now sits alongside Brent in the broadcast booth. Here we go. Now it starts. The game starts at 9 p.m. It's hot at Boston Garden. This is the old Boston Garden. The, the balcony is lined with posters praising the Boston Celtics. At that time, even into the 80s, you remember seeing posters celebrating the stars, sometimes the unsung heroes. Tonight, on this night in 1976, 
we had a huge unsung hero, and that was Glenn McDonald. Ending up having to check in after exhaustion set in three overtimes. We're now right into around 1 a.m. The players have jet lag going back and forth, West Coast, East Coast. In comes a guy named Glenn McDonald. And you've all heard of Glenn McDonald. Anybody who is a Celtics diehard fan knows who Glenn McDonald is. If you if you have no clue who this guy is, I highly suggest you YouTube 1976 Game 5 Celtic Suns. Watch this game. What struck me about this game is the high-paced, fast game. I mean, most times when we look back at ESPN Classic, we, we comment on how uh, the 1980s or the games pre-probably 1990, were the players were slow. Well, not a Tommy Heinsohn coach team. You hear him today as he's doling out Tommy points left and right. They usually come when the Boston Celtics press the ball. That was Tommy's game plan. This team ran, especially when Dave Cowens was on the floor, because here's a big man who could rebound and dribble literally, run the fast break if need be. Great outlet passer, perfect guy, similar to a decade earlier with Bill Russell, where he's a great guy to start off the fast break. Perfect for the Tommy Heinsohn model. Anyway, Dave Cowens fouls out, Glenn McDonald is inserted, and it's history from there. You will hear from Glenn McDonald today on Celtics Beat. So this is a really exciting episode. Today we have Al McCoy from the Phoenix Suns, the broadcaster who went in the booth solo for what was over three-hour game that went into 1 a.m. in a very raucous garden, 9 p.m. start, don't forget. This was back in the day when you could bring booze into the garden, and you know after a 5 p.m. work week, Celtics fans were hitting the bars around Causeway Street and heading into the garden already primed up for what would be a Celtics party. Then, of course, there's one of the greatest calls in basketball history, broadcast history, and that's Gar Herd's shot heard around the world, and that was to force the triple overtime. This game had highs and lows. There was no reason to amp it up today or back then. It stands for itself. It stands alone as probably the greatest game in NBA Finals history. So before we throw to Ty Ray, who sits down with Al McCoy, and then later in today's episode, he sits down with Glenn McDonald, we want to throw at you the Facebook question of the week. The Facebook question of the week is brought to you by Dr. Ron's Ultra Pure Nutritionals. This is the additive-free company. Yes, additive-free. Dr. Ron's supplements contain no magnesium or other flowing agents, binders, lubricants, coatings, fillers, GMOs, or other added ingredients of any kind. Are you recovering from an injury? Trying to heal joint pain? Fill vitamin deficiencies? Even gain muscle or get better sleep? So this week, on behalf of LHR and Celtics Beat and CLNS Radio, we would like to offer you a discount on your order, and it's a nice discount. Enter Celtics at the end of your order or mention Celtics over the phone by calling toll-free 877-472-8701. Celtics Beat audience, I personally called this week, spoke to the gentleman over at Dr. Ron Supplements. They are more than kind and helpful when trying to fill your nutrition needs. They directed me to the right products for my personal needs. So now, to the question of the week. Where does Game 5 of the 1976 NBA Finals rank all time? 
head over to reachedapp.com slash CLNS or grab the link and feel free to contribute to the discussion over on our Facebook group. The Celtics Beat Facebook group can be found at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. And let me tell you, the Celtics Beat Facebook group has actually blown up with intelligent, great, friendly commentary. No bullies, no BS, just good Celtics talk. Anyway, back to today's episode. So we're going to start off with Al McCoy. Al McCoy, again, was the solo broadcaster in the booth in 1976 at Boston Garden. This is one of the more interesting interviews as he recaps the game, really the series, perfectly. Celtics fans, young or old, I encourage you to kind of hang out, put in your earbuds, and listen to this gem, this piece of great Celtics history. And while you're doing that, keep in mind, today's interview with Al McCoy is is presented by DraftKings. As you know, there's only a few more preseason NFL games left before the regular season kicks off, and you could start the season by winning two million dollars in week one at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site. This is the biggest football contest ever. $10 million in prizes are up for grabs, including $2 million for first place and $1 million for second place. What does one-week fantasy mean, folks? One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. It's fantasy football on demand, kind of like podcasting, on-demand audio. Play where you want, when you want, with the players you want. Just pick your players, pile up the points, and pick up the cash. That's it, folks. You've never experienced football quite like this. Every game feels like the playoffs. I'm in. I I can attest to that. This isn't your usual fantasy sports. This is DraftKings. Hurry over to DraftKings.com now and use promo code NEWENGLAND for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Now I'm going to swing it over to Ty Ray and Al McCoy. With us on Celtics Beat today. Oh, no, no problem. Happy to do it. You know, I've been going over this Game 5 of the 1976 Finals over my head. I've been going through it over and over, and even looking at old YouTube clips and reading the stories. It's like it didn't happen. It was almost like a movie, wasn't it? Well, it was, and of course, uh, you know, at that point in time, it was such an unusual a series to begin with because uh, the Suns weren't expected to do anything that year. Uh, they had some key injuries, and they just struggled uh, to even get close to 500, but they just made the playoffs. And then uh, to go into the finals finally uh, against the famed uh, Boston Celtics, it was uh, a little unusual to begin with. And then, of course, the old Boston Garden, as you all know, uh, you know, no air conditioning. It was an unusually hot, humid <laughs> day uh, that day. I'll never forget it. And of course, it was a late start, nine o'clock. And you could imagine where all those Boston fans had been uh, when they got off work at five and before they came to uh, Boston Garden, right? <laughs> exactly. Was that one of the most unusual conditions to broadcast. And because of the whole air conditioning situation, because it was so packed, how hard did that make it for you to call the game? Well, you know, uh, you have to go back really to the start. The series opened in Boston, and the Celtics won the first two games uh, really pretty easily. The Suns didn't compete that well. But when they came back to Phoenix, it was almost a turnaround because the Suns uh, got invigorated 
and they won the two games. And so when we went back to Boston and that early June night, uh, it was uh, all tied at 2-2. So game five was something special. Uh, I'll never forget, I got up to the broadcast area, and in old Boston Garden, it was, uh, you were in uh, Larry, a little bit off the floor, but still it was a very good vantage point. Uh, but when I got to uh, my broadcast area, uh, it looked like they had sold uh, tickets uh, to fans right next to where I was broadcasting. And I thought, you know, this is going to be kind of ridiculous. So our son's public relations director at that time, a man named Tom Ambrose, I said, go up and ask the security guard uh, you know, what the situation is here. Uh, so he did, and when he came back, and I said, well, what did the security guard say? And he said, well, he just said, go park your car. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, anyway, uh, the story uh, has been told many times that about 10 minutes before we were to start our radio broadcast, and I was doing it on our son's network, also on Armed Forces Radio around the world, here comes three young guys, uh, with these big paper bags sitting down next to me. And they had actually uh, been able to buy those tickets. And uh, even though I don't know where they'd been since they got off work at five, they started unpacking uh, bottles of wine, chips, uh, six packs <laughs> here, and they set up to have a big party and were sitting right next to me. So you can imagine when the game started, Every time uh, John Havlicek or David Cowan to make a good play, I get slapped on the arm by the guy next to me, and I, hey, how about that? Well, as uh, we all know, uh, what happened that night, it went uh, to three amazing overtimes, the first time in the history of the NBA Finals that ever been a triple overtime game. And uh, true story, when John uh, gets heard around the world, the young man next to me leaped into the air, and literally passed out on my lap. And I realized that this was going to be a challenge because I'm trying to... Pandemonium had broken out. Fans had come out on the floor. The, the officials were trying to get things uh, calmed down. And I'm just trying to get this guy off my lap so I can see what's going on on the floor and broadcast it up and down <laughs> uh, our network lines. But it was uh, probably the most unique challenge uh, I've ever had in my broadcast career. I was going to say, Al, you've called so many games. This game had to be at the top of the list, right, as far as experiences. Well, you know, it's interesting because, as I mentioned, it was uh, the first triple overtime game in the history of the NBA Finals. It was kind of ironic uh, that in 1993, when again the Suns got to the Finals, this time against Chicago, there was another triple overtime game. That one was in uh, old Chicago Stadium, and the Suns did win that game. But the amazing thing about the triple overtime game, and uh, it was an amazing game because of the sheer emotion. I mean, a lot of people I will say maybe uh, those two teams weren't the most talented. Uh, they didn't have uh, uh, some of the great name players. But the sheer emotion of the game was what uh, I think puts it into the archives and still maybe the greatest game ever played. And I'll never forget after the game was over and I was in the locker room and a lot of national writers were there and uh, I was asked that question by one of the writers, how do you think that's the greatest playoff game ever played? And I, I even felt at that time from the sheer emotion it was because 
it was so hot and humid. By the third overtime, it was a struggle just for players to get up and down the floor. And a lot of players had fouled out. Uh, the Suns had lost their starting and backup centers. And uh, although sometimes it's, it's kind of forgotten that when the game finally ended after three overtimes and Boston had the win, uh, Coach Tommy Heinsohn, who was coaching at the Celtics at that time, actually fainted. And uh, it was just the sheer emotion and the conditions of the game that I still, from that standpoint, I think it was the, the greatest NBA playoff game of all time. Al, the way you describe it to me right now, well, first of all, I get chills up my spine because I was watching a lot of the clips on YouTube before I called you, and then the way you're describing this, it's almost like a great heavyweight fight from the 70s. Well, it was, and there's no question, and I've always said this in describing NBA playoff games when you're going against a, a champion. It is almost like a heavyweight fight because for the challenger to win, they have to develop a knockout blow. And the Suns almost did that with Gar Hurd's uh, a shot that sent it into the triple overtime. But then a young player named Glenn McDonald, as we all know, who had not gotten any playing time, came in, was the only fresh player on the floor, and actually <laughs> uh, added the plus uh, that Boston did need uh, to win that game. Uh, we yeah. forget about the fact that the next game was in Phoenix, but it was so anticlimactic. Uh, that everyone finally felt that Boston won the series in that Game 5 triple overtime game, even though there was a, a Game 6 in that in that series. And uh, when you talk to the players in that game that played, Alvin Adams, who that year was the rookie of the year in the NBA, the Sun starting center, the players like Paul Westfall, they all agree that it was the most emotional game they'd ever been involved in. And, of course, we don't want to forget that was a very controversial non-call in that series uh, when uh, Richie Powers decided that he would not make a technical foul call when Paul Silas, then playing with the Boston Celtics, went to Powers, tried to call what would have been and should have been an illegal timeout because at that time in the NBA rules, if you had used your timeouts, tried to call an additional one to stop play, it was a technical. If that had have been done, the Suns would have put Paul Westfall in the line, eliminated the tie game, and the Suns probably would have won. Uh, that was and that Richie was a- Powers that made that call, and it was one that was discussed by Suns fans for many, many, many years. Now, that was after regulation, right? That's after Correct. the game was tied at 95, after regulation. Correct. Correct. And then, and then just- as a result of that, the, league was, the, uh, the rule was changed by the NBA. They took that rule out uh, because at that time, as I mentioned, if you had used your full allotment of timeouts, tried to call another timeout to stop the game, it was a technical. After that disputed non-call, the league changed the rule. But then the Suns, in the second overtime, used that rule to their advantage, right? Yes, they did. Because Paul Paul Westfall called timeout and gave the Suns possession at half court so Gar Hurd could hit his shot. No question about it. And Paul Westfall, ironically, had been with both teams. He had played with the Celtics before coming with the Suns. Everyone that knew Paul knew he was one of the most highly respected intellects as far as knowing the game, and he was the one that made the call. He went to Coach John McLeod and said, let's do this, let the technical call, and we'll be able to play play the game. And obviously, at that point, as you mentioned, the Suns used that 
particular uh, call uh, to their advantage. Now, talk about trying to call the game when Bedlam broke loose. What after the second overtime, you had people everywhere in the garden. So well, it was how unbelievable could you figure because, out? Yeah, it was. How uh, could you figure out what was going on? Well, it was tough. I got a guy passed out on my lap. Don't forget that. And, <laughs> That's uh, true. You know, so I'm trying to get him off. Uh, we're trying to stand to get up and see. And as I mentioned, pandemonium had broken out. Security that night in Boston Garden was non-existent really non-existent because uh, from uh, the fourth quarter on, the Suns coaches could not talk to their teams during timeout. They had to go out almost to midcourt because the fans were up right into the uh, Suns events. There was no security at all. And uh, we won't get into any Red Arbach stories at this particular point in time. He was the master of coming up with tricks in order to sway games. And there was no security at all. So when that transpired, and the fans thought the game was over, they literally just rushed the floor, and, and it was pandemonium. The floor was entirely covered. The officials, uh, with people, the officials were trying to get out. Some players were headed for the locker room, and uh, it took a while before they were able to get things out of control. It was crazy. So Garherd hits his shot, and you come up with the lines. I want to tell you something. Somebody up there is on our side. How spontaneous was that? Well, I promise, I don't even remember how I even happened to come up with that. <laughs> the thing that I just crossed my mind was there had been so many things in that game uh, back and forth that just seemed to continue to allow the Suns to stay in the game. Uh, sometimes we forget that it was the Celtics that got off to a great start in that game and almost completely buried the Suns in the opening quarter. But the Suns just seemed to be able to come back time and time again to keep the game alive. And I guess when I came up with that line, that was what was on my mind. Because at one point, I think the Celtics in overtime had what seemed like an insurmountable lead. They were up by three points, but then what, Westfall makes a steal, makes a shot. I mean, there's so many moments in this game it's hard to keep track of. There's so many highlights. Yes, no question about it. It could be a, a tremendous highlight film. And, you know, once in a while, although I haven't seen it for quite some time, uh, NBA TV used to run some of those old games. And uh, when I had the uh, good luck to watch them, it was just as thrilling watching it in person. Uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation today about the uh, players through the years. Uh, are the players today greater than the players of that era? Well, I think in, in certain ways they are, but I think uh, the way to play the game, the knowledge of the game, the sheer emotion of the game, the sheer energy of the game, uh, you have to go a long ways to surpass uh, uh, those uh, great games uh, in, the, in the 70s. It was much more a team game. I think that's yes. fair to say. Yes, yes. And that was a typical example because I mentioned, you know, so many players on both teams had filed out, and when you got to the third quarter, I mean, I, I, I couldn't understand how guys were even getting up and down the floor because they were just simply exhausted, uh, humid, hot, and thus the intensity of the game, but they kept going. There's a great shot, I think, of JoJo White sitting in the backcourt with his arms extended behind him because he's just completely, completely gassed. I mean, I have that, that image seared in my mind from that particular game. I got to tell you, the Spurs really... 
were incredible this year to watch because it hearkened me back to those days, those days of real team basketball where nobody was a complete superstar. Don't get me wrong, you know, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, you know, they're great players, but not like the superstars. So it hearkens me back to that day, Al. Does it does it take you back to these Spurs teams hearken you back to the 1970s maybe a little bit? Well, it does uh, for for several reasons. Uh, you look at the Spurs, uh, they're probably the only team in the NBA today that has been able to keep the nucleus of that team. And you have to give a great deal of credit to their big three players, Duncan Parker and Ginobili, who could have gone to other teams with free agency and made a lot more money. They decided to stay and win. And uh, that was what happened going back to the 70s when you looked at teams like Boston, the Lakers, and in that era, and the Suns for many, many years, players stayed with teams and developed uh, that type of compassion and teamwork that spelled uh, really, uh, really outstanding uh, emotional basketball. And, and I think that uh, was the thing that San Antonio was able to do this year. And I think as a result, a lot of fans uh, did respond to their type of play. Talk about John McLeod as, as a coach to be able to guide them through those waters where you had so many injuries and then people forget how good the Golden State Warriors were that year. Well, people and forget the Suns that. Took yes. Them down. Yes. The Warriors had won the NBA championship the previous year with the great Rick Barry and that crew. And that went to a deciding seventh game that was played on the home court of the Warriors. And there was a double overtime game in that series. And that was a tremendous, tremendous boost for the Suns. And I mentioned Alvin Adams, who was the Suns' starting center and wound up being rookie of the year. I want to mention Ricky Sobers, who was the Suns' rookie. And when Dick Van Arsdale went down with that broken wrist, it was uh, Ricky that came in and had the starting role and uh, finished very, very strong in in the playoffs. Do you talk to many people, former players, about that particular experience? I do, and I want to get back to what you mentioned about Coach McLeod. As I had said earlier, uh, he's the winningest coach in the history of the Suns. He came out of the college ranks uh, from Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, and uh, was a tremendous NBA coach. He went on to coach other teams, Dallas, the Knicks, so on and so forth, coached Notre Dame. But those years with the Suns were great years. And uh, he certainly was at his best in many, many of those uh, those games. Uh, he's uh, been recognized uh, here in Phoenix, and certainly he should be because uh, he was an outstanding, outstanding coach. Yeah, and a nice gentleman, too. One of the best. Yeah, yeah. I got to meet him on a few occasions. I covered the Nuggets from 2000 to 2005, right. and he was an assistant there. And he right, was that's right. Just, just, just the nicest guy, and I just want him to get his due, too. They no, were question, standing. no question. No question about it. And, and that game uh, certainly today still will, will stick out in the mind. And I'm sure if, if you talk to Tommy Heinsohn, who then, uh, after all his years as a player of the Celtics, was their coach, he certainly would never forget uh, that game five in Boston Garden, as I mentioned to you, when it finally ended and the Celtics had won, he, he virtually collapsed. Well, Al, I'll tell you, this has been a privilege to be able to talk to you about Game 5 of the 1976 NBA Finals. I really mean that. It's been uh, a joy today. Well, I appreciate it. As I said, uh, this coming year is going to be my 43rd year in the NBA. And no matter where I go or what fans that I talk to, 
everyone has a story about that triple overtime game in Boston Garden in 1976. Uh, for years, I would get mail where people would tell me where they were, what the circumstances were. So I mentioned I was also doing that game in Armed Forces Radio, and I got mail from servicemen who were around the world that had heard that game. I heard from people who were shopping in the supermarket, and they stopped everything, <laughs> stopped checking people out because they had the game up on their speakers, and people just stood and listened. So uh, it's it's been a game that certainly, I think, uh, has its mark and will never be forgotten as a great part of the great history of the NBA. You know what's great about it, too, Al? It needs no embellishing. It speaks oh, for right. itself. It's not like a fishtail. You know, it doesn't that's get larger right. over time. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun, Al, and it's still fun for you, too, I can tell. And one other thing before I let you go, and I've been, I, I don't want to prolong this, but you called that game solo, right? The 19, You didn't have, like, a, a three-man booth or anything. No, that, that's exactly right. Now, through the years... Uh, and at that time, I was doing television also, but of course it was on national TV, uh, so uh, we couldn't uh, do the TV, so I was doing radio. I was working alone. Uh, I've had a lot of analysts through the years, but somehow that particular year, I did not have an analyst on every game, and I, I did not. Uh, I was doing it solo, and uh, so, it was quite a night. Unbelievable. Al, thanks so much for coming on the show, and, and best of luck this year. And, and like I said, it was a real privilege having you on Celtics Speak. Well, there you have it. Ty Ray's interview with Al McCoy, play-by-play, legendary play-by-play broadcaster for the Phoenix Suns. He was the solo man in the booth on that night in June 1976. Now moving on to what most Celtics fans probably have never heard, never heard from this man. I've scoured iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube for interviews with Glenn McDonald, the unsung hero, probably the guy that will forever be remembered as the greatest unsung hero in Celtics history. Yes, there's been comparisons, Darren Day, some other names come to light, P.J. Brown, uh, but no one, no one will be remembered like Glenn McDonald, who pretty much saved the day back in 1976 as the game stretched into the wee hours of the morning. Players were fatigued, the bench was getting depleted, and Tommy Heinsohn called McDonald's number. As you heard, Tyree, co-owner CLNS Radio, co-host on my podcast, Beats and Eats, conducted a spectacular interview with Al McCoy. Well, he's back for this round. He sits down for more of a conversation with Glenn McDonald as they recount that night in 1976 in June. So interview two today on Celtics Beat is, is powered by the 80s Cruise. Speaking of Ty Ray, join he and myself as we will be one of the hosts on the 80s cruise, cruising to Fort Lauderdale, Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and Half Moon, cruising back to the 80s, yes, celebrating that great decade. We're talking 70s today, but Celtics fans, diehard Celtics fans, love the 80s, and this is the 80s cruise, February 28th through March 6th, and it's not just cruising with Ty and I, as a matter of fact, we're the smallest of the bunch. The headliners are... Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool in the Gang, Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, and Wang Chung. The cruise is also hosted by the original MTV VJs. For you younger guys and girls that are listening to today's show, there was a time where MTV did play 
videos, music videos, and the people who introed those videos were called VJs. The original MTV VJs were Alan Hunter, Mark Goodman, Nina Blackwood. They will be on the cruise. We hope you will be too. To inquire, go to www.the80scruise.com or you could call toll-free 844-384-8080. Make sure to mention CLNS Radio. Now, we welcome back Ty Ray with our special guest, Glenn McDonald. Hi, Glenn. It's Ty Ray from CLNS Radio. How are you this morning? I'm doing just fine, thank you. Thanks for giving us some time today. I really appreciate that. Before we get started, just tell our listeners what you're doing right now. Right now, I'm the director of the Intramural Sports Program uh, here at Cal State Long Beach, my alma mater. I've been doing that for uh, in this position for the last 20 years. Getting ready to look into retiring next year. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Long-time ties to Long Beach State. First-round draft pick of the Celtics, what, in 1974? Yes. Uh, you know something? It was so different during those times, you know, because you didn't have all these uh, going there to, to New York or any place like that. and So you were just pretty much at home. Actually, I was in the middle of moving. When I got, <laughs> when I got a call from my, from my uh, assistant coach, because I played for Jerry Tarkanian, and then my senior year, uh, Tark went to UNLV, and then Lou Olson was my coach my senior year. And so after the year was up, um, uh, I was really close to one of the assistant coaches, the guy Dwight Jones. And so he had called me, and I was in the middle of moving, and he called me and said, Glenn, you just got drafted by the Boston Celtics. I said, oh, that's great. Call me back later. I'm in the middle of moving. <laughs> and, and, and so he said, put those boxes down. Let me tell you again what I just said. And so that's how everything happened. I was I was really excited, but at the same time, I was focused on what I was trying to do. And um, that's how it happened. But there was two no- years later, two years later, Glenn, you're playing in what's considered the greatest basketball game ever. Can you take us back to that night? Give us your recollections. Wow, that's 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 crazy right there. For, you know, first of all, it was just an honor to be playing with the Celtics in, in general because I was never a Celtic fan when I, you know, when I was growing up because they always won. So and I was always one of those people that was rooted for underdogs. And so then when I got drafted by the Celtics, it was like, oh my God! And then not only that, going from the West Coast to the East Coast, it was like, oh, okay, here we go, culture shock. So, but you know, going to that organization and then being able to play in in that game, it, it was just amazing. Uh, just building up to the game in general, just everyone had a feeling that we could take them, you know, in five, you know, so, uh, but then they went ahead and got a couple wins and, you know, next thing you know, we're fighting for our lives. And I played a few, just a few minutes. I remember in the early parts of the game, you know, I think I played a few minutes in the first half. I think I scored a two points or something like that in the first half. And, you know, I was there mainly playing defense anyway. That was my role technically. And um, then I sat from that point on. I, I think I might, might have got in a couple seconds in the second half or something, didn't really play very much. And then we just started going into these overtimes. And just the way that uh, with us being up 20 points, I do remember that, that we had like a 20-point lead. And they just kept nipping at it and nipping at it and nipping at it. And next thing you know, we're in a dogfight. And the crowd is going crazy. Uh, I do remember with Richie Powers getting jumped on, you know, from the people in the stands. Some some people in the stands jumped out and grabbed him, the referee. Uh, 
it's, it's a lot of it's just faint to me, you know, that right. I can't recollect so much because it just seemed like everything was going by so fast. At the same time, it was going slow motion because it seemed like the game was never going to end. And then they end up, we end up going into overtime, you know, that first overtime. And, um, then Garher hits the shot in the second overtime. And, you know, even though, um, fortunately it wasn't, a, um, a three point shot because it would have been <laughs> over. So, but, you know, sometimes I look at that film and I'm saying, oh, that was, that really wouldn't have been a three point shot anyway, because it was more at the top of the key opposed to being out where a three point shooter would be. So, but, um, I mean, it was just exciting. Everybody on the bench, you know, we everybody was just not sure what was really going to happen, but we knew that they're in our house, and and we didn't lose very often in our house, and so we had to prevail, and that was the biggest thing. Dave Cowens, Charlie Scott, Paul Silas all fell out of the game, so they give you the call. Tommy points to you <laughs> in the third overtime to come up big. Tommy in his plaid, what, plaid pants, plaid shirt. Oh, my God, I know. <laughs> well, I, I think we all wore something like that anyway during those days. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I remember all too well. We tried, we tried to hide those photos. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but he points to you, and you come up big in that third overtime. I believe you scored six points in that overtime, eight in the game. What was it about that third overtime that allowed you to take over? First of all, it was it was just faith that he even called me to to go in because I guess I hadn't been playing, I hadn't played that much throughout the year. I played off and on. I'd get injured or whatever, and I would, so I I had minutes, but then it just wasn't a substantial amount of minutes. And so when Paul Silas fouled out. That's when I tapped Steve Kaberski and said, Steve, Paul just fouled out. Get ready. You know, because uh, Kaberski usually played the power forward role, and so I, I knew, you know, he was going in. And so I'm there just ready to cheer and do what I could, you know, in, from the bench, you know, just energy in that sense. And then all of a sudden I heard Heinsohn said, Mac, you know, and he tells me, run him. Basically because I have fresh legs, I hadn't been in the game, that was something that was part of my game anyway, just running up and down. You know, um, it's like they always talk about, Havlicek never got tired. That's how I was. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get tired, you know. And so, and then at that point, in the third overtime, where I hadn't really played much at all, he wanted me to just get out there and run, just see what I, I can do as far as running. And JoJo was exhausted. And, you know, and I, I think it was just one of those things. I, even my, to this day, I tell my own kids, you know, even they're, they're grown and everything, but when they were coming up playing sports and stuff, you know, just – no matter what happens, just you have to be ready when your name is called. You know, just be ready because you can't sit around moping if you're not in the game or whatever. But when they call you, you know, you have to be ready. And um, and I was fortunate that, you know, what I've taught them, I, you know, it was something that was in with ingrained in me. And I think when I got out there, there was no fear or anything like that. It was just this is my job. I got to go out there and play. And then you know I got a you know a couple of baskets and you know and I got a steal and I got a free throw. You know, a couple of free throws. And then next thing you know you know, the game is over. And I really didn't realize the impact that I had made on that game until I got home and couldn't sleep and just thinking about what the hell did I just do? <laughs> you know, and, and so, and, it, and it, it's in, to be, have an integral part in something like that. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing because even the students here at the university, a lot of students don't know I played with the Celtics because I'm not one. I don't talk. I played for the Celtics and things like that. But they'll, someone else will mention something, then they'll go on Google and all this stuff. And then they'll come to, Mr. McDonald, why don't you tell the Celtics? You know, 
And uh, and I just started laughing. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? Just put a sign saying, hey, I play for the Celtics. <laughs> so we, we laugh about that a lot. And they know that I'm still a Celtics fan because I have Celtics stuff in my office and things like that. And so they'll come in and they just talk about, you know, well, what, what, did, you, what did you do when you were there? And, you know, did you play much? And so we, we sit down and really talk about a lot of different things. But, you know, even the guys on the basketball team here at Long Beach State, you know, we talk about just – the past, the past, you know, um, history of the Celtics and, you know, and there, you, oh, you have a ring and so those type of things. So, but, um, but the electricity in that building was unbelievable, you know, during that night, it, it just, because that's when people don't understand. I try to tell them that during those days, people, you could smoke in the arena. And so you, right. have, you have smoke <laughs> and everything else floating up in the air and, you know, it's hot, and, and the, the Boston Garden wasn't like there was really any air conditioning. It was like you played, when you played in there, you played like you were playing outside in hot sun, except there was a little cover over you. And um, it was just, it was amazing. I just think back at it sometimes and just keep saying, you know, I can't believe I game. Do you ever have reunions? Does the team ever get together? I know next year will be the 40-year anniversary of that NBA Finals, but have you gotten together with the guys since then? No, not really. The only time I really see them, I've seen JoJo a couple times. My son lives in Boston now. He's been back there probably about seven years. He got married, and he lives back there. And then uh, his wife is from uh, uh, Anderson, or was it Manchester, New Hampshire. You know, she's from there. And so I told my wife, well, he won't be back because he moved. He moved there, and he's 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 done. He won't be back in California. So, but um. We um, see each other during the retired players association meetings that we have, you know, throughout the year. In August, July, I'll see them, and then during the uh, NBA All Star Game, a lot of guys show up because we're still through the uh, through the um, association, the retired players association. We're able to get tickets or whatever and go to those functions, and so then we end up seeing each other during that time. So, but that's basically about it. We don't really. I haven't heard of any time that they've had actually a reunion or anything. I'm so glad that this game gets its due. I know that when history gets looked back upon, sometimes events like this fall by the wayside, but there's no way that this game can fall by the wayside. People always have to remember this game. And I talk to Celtics fans of all ages, and it gets brought up, Glenn, and, and that's got to hold a special place in your heart. Yeah, it, it People does. remember this. It really does, and 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 just like um, I always say, they're always looking at the games during this time of the year, and somehow that game always pops up, and always, and then that's when people come to me and say, "I didn't know you played," and I just start laughing. I said, "Well, these are keeping my name alive, you know." So, but um, it, it's it's amazing that they do refer to this game as one of the best games ever, and uh, it, like I said, I'm just honored to be a been a part of it in, in regards to if I was there for one year for two years you know it, the organization was great to me to this day they still send me things you know let me know what's going on with you know uh, with the Celtics and it's it's just um I think it's just an organization that if you got involved with it you know it's like a, a true family and uh at, at one point I thought it was kind of changing I hate to say but you know when, when during the time when Curtis Rowe and Sidney Wixon were there yes it wasn't it wasn't a Celtic vibe at all you know during that time it wasn't a uh like a family 
atmosphere. It was more just individuals, and you know. Then finally, when Bird came back in, came in, everything everything kind of changed again, and it got back to that Celtic pride and you know the dignity you know that you need to have to be a Celtic. Stevens, he's got it going again. He's doing some good things right now. So uh, I'm I'm proud to be a part of this that Celtics. You know, and I didn't go. To, I didn't play at any other team. I was with Milwaukee for. I think maybe a month or so because someone had gotten injured and I, I was picked up by them for a little bit. But um, that's the only real team I ever played for. It was the Celtics. And um, and like I said, it doesn't matter if it was for a day or for, you know, 10 years, you know, I, I really bleed Celtic and everybody out here knows it. The 70s teams, the Celtics teams, the 74, the 76 team, I don't think, while this game gets its due, while we talk about this triple overtime game in 76, yes, I, don't think, I don't think it gets its due like the Bird teams or the Russell teams in the 60s or even the KG team in 2008. I think the 70s teams go underappreciated. They should have won a third banner, actually, uh, but Kavlicek got hurt. Uh, in the in the early seventies, so right. yeah, we go into the the Sydney Wicks, Curtis Rowe era, and of course the John Y. Brown ownership. And let's not let's not dwell <laughs> let's not dwell on that too much. Let's let's forget let's forget those teams. Just before uh, before we wrap up here, I think people forget Game Four went to overtime too in that seventy six finals. How amazing is that? Game four goes to overtime. Game five, it's yeah. amazing anybody had anything left. And, 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 you saw, and, and when you think about it, you know, you look at JoJo, you look at Charlie Scott, you know, you look at Dave, you know, Paul Cyrus, you know, those were the people that held it up for us, and they were exhausted. So it is, it's, uh, but it's a credit to them, you know, with the professionalism that they showed out there on the court that, you know, that they're winners, you know, and they were going to do anything they could to keep it in Boston, you know, at that time, especially at that time. They wanted to see Boston. It was supposed to be done. Uh, I think the year before, uh, in, 70, in 74, when Milwaukee won, you know, when they first uh, won, when they won the championship in 74, because <clears throat> that was the year I got drafted, uh, Celtics had a chance to win it that year. It's, um, it's just amazing how they just keep rolling, keep rolling. And now there's a little downfall for, I think, a year or two. And next year, I really believe that Rad's going to get them back on track again, and they're going to be contenders all over again. It's just, it's, just, it's, it's meant to be for the Celtics to be in the finals of the NBA. And um, I think he's going to get them back there again. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us on this very special edition of Celtics Beat Podcast. It's been a real joy, a real privilege to talk to you, sir. Well, I really appreciate you, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and this, has been, this has been enlightening. I really appreciate it. Well, there you have it, Celtics fans, a walk down memory lane going back nearly 40 years. Can you believe it'll be 40 years next year? That Game 5 1976 NBA Finals actually went live fact is, Celtics fans, we are looking forward to memorable games from today's Boston Celtics. And who knows, you may have a chance to be at one of them this season, opening night. CLNS Radio, Celtics Beat, and LHR, myself, are giving away two free tickets to opening night at TD Garden. The contest is really easy. All you have to do is go to Celtics Beat on iTunes and leave a rating and review as well as Stitcher and leave a rating and review. Be honest. Let us know what you truthfully think. The picking of the winner will be random, has a chance to win 
two free tickets to opening night. I must say, as we're wrapping up this episode, this has been thoroughly a pleasure. Ty Ray and, and Glenn McDonald briefly touched on how the 1970s Celtics are almost like the forgotten decade. I hope that changes. The 1970s was very fun for basketball, especially once the ABA-NBA merger happened. But particularly in 1976, the Boston Celtics put on quite a show in Game 5, as you've heard on today's episode. 74 Celtics were also amazing, beating the Milwaukee Bucks for the NBA championship. 73 Celtics broke, I think they still may hold the single season record for most wins for a Boston Celtics team. So you see, the 1970s were a great decade. Two banners went up to the rafters. They still hang there along with many retired numbers. Lots of crossover players from the Russell era, including John Hondo Havlicek, Don Nelson, and even coach Tommy Heinsohn. I want to take one moment out particularly to thank you, the fans of CLNS Radio and Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio launched as a Celtics-only network in 2009. We were the first Boston sports podcast network. Since then, expanding into all sports coverage, which you heard me mention earlier in the show, Red Sox beat, Patriots beat, as being the final two cogs to the beat series, which is part of Celtics beat, who leads it off. This show, Celtics beat, has appeared in the top five in sports category on iTunes. It's placed number one many times on iTunes and Stitcher for Celtics podcasts. We want to thank you, the fans of Celtics beat and CLNS radio, for making that possible. Without you, it wouldn't happen. So as I rarely get a chance to get on the CLNS airwaves these days, I'd like to take that moment to thank you very much. I also want to thank LHR for his hard work on this podcast, and he works tirelessly communicating with the fans both on Twitter, Facebook, and email. As you know, Larry H. Russell put out the critically acclaimed book, The Fall of the Boston Celtics. That is still available for free download by going to clnsradio.com slash LHR book. And I want to thank my buddy, my co-host on Beats and Eats, Ty Ray, who put a lot of this together, orchestrating the Al McCoy interview and Glenn McDonald. Chasing Glenn down wasn't easy. Like I said, he rarely does interviews. Lastly, one more call to action. If you would, please consider donating to CLNS Radio's crowdfunding. In return, we'll give you your choice of a t-shirt from CLNS Radio or a CLNS travel mug. It's real easy. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash CLNS radio. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash CLNS radio. You could donate in any amount and no amount is too little. Any help is appreciated. As I said, CLNS radio has been giving you free audio and visual coverage of the Boston Celtics and all Boston sports since 2009. Don't forget to check out the Garden Report, CLNS radio's prized YouTube channel. It's a vault of NBA locker room interviews from both Celtics and the visitors. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, in addition to KG, Paul Pierce, and the glory years, and it continues today. Our locker room reporter, Jared Weiss, is the host of the Garden Report, which airs following every single home game at TD Garden, right shot right on the parquet floor at the Garden, with regular hosts, Comcast Sportsnet, New England's Jimmy Toscano, as well as CLNS Radio's Julian Edlow, featuring many guests from the Boston Celtics beat community, including guys from Nesson. Zach Cox is a is a regular. Uh, Sherrod Blakely, Jess Camaretto, Kyle Draper. Speaking of CSNNE, if you enjoyed today's episode, 
1976, recounting Game 5 NBA Finals, you need to check out CSNNE's Into the Archives podcast series. Truly amazing interviews spanning the 80s with guys like Larry Bird, Johnny Most. I mean, this stuff is incredible. Check out our friends over at CSNNE, CLNS Radio, and Comcast. We'll be doing a lot of work together this season. Well, folks, that's it for this week's episode of Celtics Beat, and I want to thank you so much for enduring my big mouth in between these great interviews by Ty Ray. Again, big thanks to Larry H. Russell for his work. You can follow him on Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR. Don't forget Ty Ray at Coog88. The Celtics Beat Twitter handle, Celtics underscore Beat. Of course, at CLNS Radio. And me, I'm Nick Gelso. You can follow me on Twitter at CLNS underscore Nick. I want to thank the people who keep the lights on here in the CLNS Virtual Studios. Audible, Casper Mattresses, The 80s Cruise, Lynda.com, Dr. Ron Supplements, and of course, America's Farmers Network. America's Farmers Network meats come from small farms and have benefits. Their product standards go above and beyond USDA regulations, and all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork to beef, AFN's family of ranchers are committed to providing you and your family with the healthiest, most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have a right to do. So what are you waiting for? Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and eat and live healthy starting today. I'd personally like to thank our guests, Al McCoy, Glenn McDonald, as well as you, the fans of Celtics Beat. Keep the listens coming and we will keep bringing you great guests. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Celtics Beat music is provided by Will Rock and Steph Le Grateau. For Ty Ray, our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, LHR himself, I'm Nick Gelso, and we are out of here. Look out this morning.